Welcome to Speak Sex. I am your host, Eve Eurydice. I am a Greek from the island of Lesbos, where the lesbians come from. <laughs> um, a, 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 you know, kind of coincidence in life that made me aware of sex and kind of pegged me linguistically as an other from a very young age, because even like in elementary school, I didn't want anybody to know that I was a lesbian. Because, um, you know, capital L, small l, the difference doesn't exist in speech. And that's how I spend my life, you know, working with sexuality because of Sappho. You know, and then like by middle school, all, it was an all-girls school, all the girls would come up to me and say, teach me about the secret arts. I'm like, what? <laughs> well, you're a lesbian. Because <laughs> I, I left the island of Lesbos and went to Athens, you know, when I was like three. And there just aren't that many, you know, born and raised <laughs> But you know what's funny, in ancient Greek, that was one of the societies where men taught other young men how to have sex, exactly. even though it was not considered a homosexual thing. Exactly. They were just teaching other young men yeah. how to have sex. Yeah. And we're missing that, actually, today. I agree. These young men need to learn how to have sex. I agree. I agree. <laughs> and the lesbians yes. as well. Everybody yes. does. Equal yeah. opportunity learning. I agree. This is one of my pet peeves in this show. I always talk about, you know, the extreme lack of sex ed. And that's the reason why we have not just repression, but like rape. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Because people, have no, they don't know how to express their sexuality. Yeah, yeah. And this mentorship from like an older to a younger, same gender, you know, safe place, just showing how it's done and letting them practice it before they go out there and mate. It's amazing. Absolutely. All of us need a coach. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I agree. So I'm speaking to today's guest. Uh, she is, uh, she's known as America's sex educator. Yes. <laughs> Dr. Sunjaya Kenya is an Ivy League educated sexologist and associate professor of medicine at the University of Miami here and the author of Sex in South Beach. Um, so she creates in her work solutions for sex problems and educates physicians and patients on sexual functioning. And she also does programming here in South Beach to help uh, uh, you know, adults <laughs> yes. um, who need uh, any sort of like sensual and sexual encouragement and re-education, <laughs> re-education camps. <laughs> Um, she lives uh, with her husband and son here in South Beach, and she volunteers at women's shelters in Miami, which I also have for years. The, the that was Lotus actually House. one <laughs> of the things that I loved most about you is we have the same volunteer assignment. I know, <laughs> I know. I love Constance. I don't yeah. know who. She's know, wonderful. She's I'm on the board there yeah. as well. Yeah, She's amazing. Oh, my God. She's done yeah. so many wonderful things yeah. for she's Miami. She's like my spiritual crush. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. She's a wonderful exactly. woman. Not a lesbian, though. Uh, oh, yeah, she's a lesbian. Oh, she is. I don't yes. know if we should talk about this I on know. the air because I did not know. I, you know, she was married. You know, let's mm -hmm. not talk. Constance, wonderful. She's a wonderful yeah, we woman. We love her in both when she's straight and when she's lesbian. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's another thing. So many yeah. women are sexually actually fluid. There was yeah. a study I read a couple of years ago and I wrote about it. There was a scientist. I wish I could remember what university she was working out of, but she followed women, a cohort of women for 27 years, more than 70 percent of those women wow. changed their sexual identity over it. the 27 years. I love it. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. 
Yeah, so... Yeah. Well, I'm bisexual. I've always, I've always identified as bisexual, and it got me in a lot of trouble many times, you know, because I'm a feminist. So right. there was, you know, a big part of, like, the feminist community that felt that if you ever, you know, ever have sex with a woman, you have to identify as a lesbian, and otherwise it's like a betrayal of w- whatever. Um, and I have felt, you know, very strongly that both genders are mostly fluid, you know, and not identifying so, you know, so vehemently uh, at any time is positive because it allows you to experiment, you know, otherwise you go back in the closet, you know, you're like, let's say queer, and then you have to go right back in the closet to try straight sex, you know, if you feel you want to. Absolutely. Isn't that <laughs> funny? I know. Isn't it funny that when people, you know, I went to uh, the GLMA conference a couple of years ago, that's the Gay and Lesbian Medical Association conference, mm-hmm. the university sent me there, mm-hmm. and you're looking at me, so you know I'm hot, right? So <laughs> yes, yes. Some of the girls were trying to pick up on me, asked me out, and I was like, you know, I like you, you're so nice, but I'm straight. Nobody asked me, is this just a phase? <laughs> Everybody yeah. was like, it's okay, we can go out anyway. You know, even though exactly. you're straight, we can go out anyway. Oh, yeah. So I think it's so interesting. Oh, but when yeah. someone comes out as queer or lesbian or gay, they're like, are right. you sure? Oh, no, all the are queer sure? people, yeah. <laughs> you say straight to a queer, it's like, oh, okay, wonderful, <laughs> even <Yeah>. better. Right. <laughs> you're like, I fantasize about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, let's turn everybody. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. So tell me a little bit about your journey, please. How you came to be a, you know. A sexologist. A sexologist academic sexologist in South Beach, where you started from and how you came to this work? Well, I like to think I was one of the most sexually disabled people ever born. Wow. And when I say that, it's just, I grew up in the hood, a very low-income environment. I'm from San Francisco, California. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, a very open, open. liberal city. Mm-hmm. I went to my first lesbian wedding when I was seven years old. Oh. So I had a very liberal, Sweet. open family, but mm-hmm. we were poor. I was raised by a single mother in a low-income environment, and there were no role models for romantic relationships, um, no role models for positive sexuality. In low-income environments, that's where the worst sex things happen. Um, then I got a scholarship to go to Catholic school, so I went to Catholic school, which further deteriorated my oh, sexuality. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, there's yes. no sex. Guilt, In guilt, Catholicism, guilt. Shame sex and guilt. doesn't happen. Yeah. Shame and guilt, guilt and shame. I remember okay. asking once our health teacher, what does it mean when a woman gets wet? And she told me, you'll yeah. find out when the time is right. Oh, <laughs> I'm she like, did? Oh, that was it. She didn't say, you're going to go to hell right now? Well, <laughs> you're damned. <laughs> Well, a few of my friends graduated pregnant in from, our, oh, okay. from that Catholic so school. So that's like San Francisco so Catholic San school. San Francisco Catholic, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then when I went to college, that's when HIV was right. just soaring through the nation. And being yeah. a straight black woman, they were basically like, society told you, if you're a straight black woman, you're going to get HIV. And that's just the way it was. Right. So I was very, very interested in learning how to have good sex, A, so it's fulfilling, because all my girlfriends in high school were like, oh, it hurt, and they bled, and they didn't enjoy oh it, God. and I was like, that sounds terrible. Yeah. And then when I went to college, you're like, well, I don't want to get HIV, and this is what, so I needed to figure out on my own, because nobody was trying to teach me. No one, that's the whole, right, nobody, the main, so yeah, I the didn't. The main conversation is that no one is teaching you no when they teach. should. Right, so I just embarked on a lot of self-study, and mm. When I graduated, I was not 
even thinking about sexuality at all for a career, I actually embarked my first master's degree is in nutrition because mm-hmm. I thought I was going to be a nutritionist. Mm-hmm. And I went to New York City. I was at Columbia University. Mm-hmm. And that's when the HIV medicines really exploded to be very effective. So people with HIV stopped dying and they started living. However, a side effect of the medications was obesity. Mm-hmm. So remember, I'm in school I for remember. nutrition. So my first but research, seen HIV patients, right? So my first research experience was doing a diet and exercise study on HIV positive obese women. Mm. So um, what I learned in that was that a lot of none of these women were were enjoying sex when they contracted HIV. And I thought, oh my god, that Can is so sad. Can you imagine? You have a lifetime of illness, and you haven't even come. Right. Exactly. I'm like, that's like you know, you you went to the airport, and you didn't catch the plane. Not only <laughs> the plane crashed on your damn head. Right? I know. Oh my. I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I was like, wow, that is terrible. And um, my mom owns a company called Divorce with Dignity. So I'm very familiar with divorce. And I noticed a a really strong similarity between HIV positive women and women who were divorcing. They hated their partners and didn't want to have sex with them anymore. And I thought, I wonder wonder if we could teach people how to have better sex, if we could reduce divorce and also reduce HIV and other sex problems. Because no one knows how to have good sex. And my goodness. If you're if if you liked having sex enough to marry someone, yeah, then you should sex should at least be something that helps keep you together. Right. And the same with HIV. If you like someone right. enough to put your life on the line for them, then the sex should be like oh my banging, God. right? Yeah. It should it needs to yeah. be the best sex of ever right. of life. Right. So yeah. I very informally. And that's especially true with women of color. You it know? is. Because it's just, a, I mean, uh, you know, the, the truth is the community is more repressed. You it know? really is. Nobody's talking about sex. And with respect to that, with women of color, it's especially dangerous because for every black woman who's of maritable age, like age 18 and over, for, one, for every 100 black women that's of maritable age, there's only 80 black men alive. Mm. Alive. That, Not to include incarcerated. No, that includes the incarcerated men and the men on the down low and the gay men. And the so, gay men. So, so <laughs> you have 100 black women and you only have 80 black men. Some of them are in Those jail. Are some of them are in the down low. So, so I always say date white ladies. Sorry. I know. <laughs> date white. Joke. Those are like bad numbers. <laughs> Those yeah, are really bad the guy numbers. The date outside. The, yeah. So you have to police. start looking outside of the race just for oh your health. Mm-hmm. I mean, just for health sake, yeah. because when you're sharing With statistical health, statistical <laughs> health. And here in Miami, Liberty City, unfortunately, is estimated to have the highest HIV rates in the nation, oh, in the entire that. United States. Yes. It's estimated that nine percent of the community is HIV positive, which is scary. That should scare mm-hmm. everyone. Mm-hmm. But we know Miami-Dade has the highest HIV rates in the nation. Well, yeah, anyway. we do in general because we have a, yeah, a strong gay population. So that comes with it. But not only that, it's still a leading cause of death for people of color. HIV, can you believe HIV no. is a leading cause of death for people of color? And we have everything. I have to do this. You know, we have medications before you have sex that you can take and you will never get HIV. So if you know you can't use a condom, you need to talk to your doctor about PrEP. And your doctor can put you on PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis, and then you won't get HIV. All the gay guys in South Beach are on PrEP. Oh, they're all on They're having yes. unprotected sex yes. and they're not yes. getting HIV. Yes. And then if you, we also have PEP, which you can take up to three days after sex and you won't get HIV. So you can, um, if the condom breaks, if you got raped, or if you just got drunk and had sex without a condom, or if you weren't drunk and had sex without a condom, um, you have 72 hours to get PEP in you, post-exposure prophylaxis, and you will not get HIV. Unfortunately, in Miami, we have the lowest utilization 
of the prevention HIV medications and the highest rates of new HIV infections. So if people would use all of those prevention medications, we could live in a world where there's no more HIV. Mm-hmm. And you know how it's true? You know how you know that what I'm saying is true? Because that person who's in the Oval Office right now even announced it on on his last conference that we're going to end AIDS in the, in the United States within the next 10 years. I consider myself a smart person. I did not pay anyone to go to school. I actually, like you, I had to do the real applications. I really had to get in exactly. based on, exactly. you know, the space between exactly. my two ears. I know. So my parents are still in Greece. I had no one. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah. so I'm saying if, you know, if the person in the Oval Office right now is saying we can an HIV, I'm just saying I think I'm smarter than that person. If they yes, think, I but, think so too. <laughs> right. So that's how you know it's true. But he actually released a lot of money. We're applying for some now because we, we are able to end HIV now. So it's important that your listeners, everyone we know knows you can take medication prep before sex, and prep. prep and pep, no more HIV. And if you're HIV positive, then you have access to free health care through the Ryan White Act mm-hmm. and you can live the rest of your life being healthy and happy as long as you take your medications. Yes. And so most people don't know. So we're done. I think about HIV like I think about diabetes. Oh. If you take care of yourself, yeah. nobody even needs yeah. to know that you're diabetic. You can live a long, happy, right. healthy life. Right. If you don't right. take care of yourself, right. you'll right. get sick. Right. Yeah. So the same thing. I mean, your, your immune system is slightly compromised, but that's it. You know, that's the extent of it, which would be true with diabetes or anything else you, anything. you might have. Yeah. Right. That's right. A, a right. condition you live with. And that's that. It doesn't right. have to affect your sex life or your self-esteem or your sense of yourself in the world. Absolutely all of that not. Yeah. No. So, yeah. so I yeah. actually, that so was my big, route. A big part of it is education, right? Teaching everyone. Teaching everyone all yeah. of these things. Yeah. So very. So back to when how my journey okay, here. Yeah. So, so I was working in, in HIV in uh-huh. graduate school. And very informally, I work with all doctors and nurses in hospitals. Um, very informally, I started giving people relationship advice because mm. many people don't know it, but you know, the medical community, doctors and nurses, not a population that thrives in good sexual relationships. Not at all. You know, no, if anyone's ever dated yeah. a doctor, I, I know yeah. there's a lot of people <laughs> nodding their head out there like, girl, you're right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So um, they have a lot of sex problems. So I was able to help my colleagues in the hallways. And yeah. it's just through my <laughs> yeah. own trial yeah, and error. That's how I came to it. Right? I just I always know did I, it. Yeah, I was yeah. just trying to help them. And then it started yeah. working. They started enjoying their yes. love life more. Mm-hmm. And then people evolve sexually. People have been married for a long time. Some of my colleagues are like, I want to try something new. And my husband or my wife or my partner isn't really down with that. How do I talk to them about that? So I started developing different communication techniques. And then, you know, single people are trying to find someone who they want to settle down with or someone who they want to establish a long-term relationship with. So I started developing dating programs and very and applying them to my own life as well I have a rule it's in my book sex in South Beach when I was single and dating I had the 10 time rule which is I don't have sex with someone just one time it's 10 times or no times yeah I agree yeah <laughs> and very pe- good rule very good rule because the first time tells you nothing nothing <laughs> and if you can't so, commit like, to me for two that. weeks yeah. I said 10 times of sex shouldn't be that hard if you can't commit to having sex right. with me 10 times and agreed then we'll, 
then we'll talk about what's going to happen after whether right. we want to continue but you have to have a little time to get to know yeah, each other yeah, exactly and, yeah. and and give yeah and, and give people a chance you know so many of us especially now that the dating apps make it so easy to like you know change people around like fresh meat fresh meat they do it once they do it twice and they're like okay i got all the intel i need i'm like you know if the guy came really fast or if the guy was like you know hanging whatever way or if he didn't go down on you it doesn't mean he never will right it's just you know this is the first time and also we don't know how to speak about sex which is what this podcast is about so on top of the fact that they're nervous and they don't know your body they don't know how to talk about it in advance they can't even look you in the eye and say what do you like this is what i like you know no one talks about it they just go at it without any conversation about sex conversation about all things that are irrelevant Everything they'll tell you about their <laughs> grandmother. Else. Yeah, they'll tell you about their dog, yeah. their grandmother's oh, dog, do- <laughs> their grandmother's dog. But they will yeah. not. They'll tell you about their yeah. how much they pooed last week. Yeah, but they will not. <laughs> I know. It is amazing. I but, say it's so yeah. much easier to have sex than talk about it, which is why your show it's is so, so important. Yeah. which is why which this is really work heartbreaking. Is, it is. I we know have to that normalize we do it to talk about it. I know. <laughs> I'm like, we like, really need to normalize these yeah. conversations. Exactly. Everyone's getting their information yeah. from porn, and porn is lying to them yes of course you know? it's lying to them i don't know any woman who wants three men coming on her face i know i know and it's yes. lying to them about what we look like oh what we look like what, what we, we act like, like. Uh, I know. Uh, 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 those are actors and actresses that's exactly. not what people don't exactly. sound they're acting no, we don't all sound the same and we no. don't have the same looking vaginas it's no just, yeah exactly all clean shaving no hair all, right yeah <laughs> oh, i know it's like tiny matchy matchy labia mm-hmm. <laughs> like oh, perfect. one is never bigger than the other what we're like what right it's perfect. not real life no yeah. it's not they're also I, I remind you everyone paid actors i interviewed porn actors before yeah, do you I know do if porn actors like each other they won't put them in a movie together so yeah. if they're in a couple because they really don't want that authentic connection to develop right they yeah. need to keep them acting in their role right so it's completely fake and if they yeah. get too excited they separate the actors and then they have fluffers on the set to keep exactly. them excited but yeah. not too excited so that they yeah. can still act out the scene yeah so we want to remember that it's all acting yeah. i actually the women i interviewed who still worked in porn they were turned off by sex especially heterosexual sex you know maybe they would sleep with women off the the set some of them would get clamped they would clamp down the vagina would get so tight that like they would have to take medication to relax you know, like a muscle relaxant, do do the work, do the acting, as you call it. But that's it. Like when it came to actually having sex for fun, they were done with it. And the same, I have you friends. You would never imagine when you're there, you know, like waking off, watching them, that that's what's really happening. And I have friends who are burlesque dancers here in Miami, and I love them. You know, they turn everyone on with their burlesque performance, right, but yeah. they're the most vanilla girls in the bedroom. Vanilla. They're like, I just want a guy to cuddle. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, I like my boyfriend because the most, you know, the riskiest thing he does is, what is it called when you put your face in a woman's breast? Um, <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah, I forget. I know. Yes, I was going to say, what is it called? Motorboat. Motorboat yeah. Motorboat. Or some, yes. 
I was like, I knew the guy in the room would know the term. Yeah, that's not the sexual position, people. Yeah. Like, that's like cuddling. That's what it yeah, is. Yeah, it's like cuddling. Yeah. She's like, oh, he just loves it. That's what turns him on. <laughs> so, so I, it's funny that people who work in the industry, and I've heard a lot of from that uh, from strippers, the same thing. They really right. are just strippers not too. They're like oh, strippers so hate men. Done. Eight hours a day. Are you, oh, all they those hate guys, them. they hate men. They yeah. never want to. Yeah. All they want is your money, guys. I tell you. Yeah, all they think is the dollar that's it the dollar comes they ignore the rest of the details and they go they've trained themselves like absolutely one one track mind which is why actually one thing about strippers that none of us really think about they drink and do so much drugs to get through the night yeah a lot of them actually end up in debt to the clubs because of wow. the, they have to pay their own drinking bill which i i kind of think the club should give them some comp drinks <laughs> if yeah. you have to do yeah. that oh the, the women are exploited all around in every possible way you know from the top models that make millions of dollars it doesn't matter you're still exploited as an object until you know all the way to like the local stripper at the strip mall in um you know in the middle of nowhere where like trackers only go who make the least amount of money every time we buy anything that's in a pink box costs more than it's something in a blue box our razors cost more yeah you know we're just constantly and that's legal that they legally tax us on tampons yeah razor like that's crazy it's called the luxury tax because we should just bleed out the shoes the pants the socks it doesn't matter the makeup it's Mm -hmm. all yeah yeah, mm-hmm. and we have to like. Whereas spend insurance all this covers money. Viagra, though insurance covers Viagra exactly, and they won't even let the the um, the female Viagra. No. It's still not approved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there we go. Uh, but anyway, back to your journey. So you were giving relationship advice to everybody in the to hospital, ev- in the yeah, in uh, and it in just Colombia. Yes, and it just sort of started working, and I really started focusing then more on a professional way. But oh, okay. I'm finishing grad school, remember? So what are you going right. to do with your life? Now mm. everyone expects me to take a job. I was like, they're like, you're going to go to work at New York University, at Princeton, mm-hmm. at this, at mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how am I going to tell everyone I really just want to help people have better sex? <laughs> 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 After all this, thank I you. Know. I just After like to have some happier, healthier sex and help people I have know. more. Yeah. Um, I had many of those moments in my life. I totally get it. Yeah, <laughs> so you're like, I want to be a serious academic, but I want to help people. I same know. thing. Why I can't know. they be the same? So yeah. I ended up, um, I did work for the City University of New York, for Columbia University, for New York University. Um, and then I took a job in the Cayman Islands at the medical school with the gold. I only had to teach two classes a week mm. and they gave me a house. They gave me a car. Nice. They paid your monthly expenses and there's no income tax. Mm. And the reason why I did that was because I needed to transition into being a sexologist most of the time and a medical professor part of the time. Mm. So I still, um, let's say that was, why did you leave? <laughs> that's like, uh, 15 years later uh, from when I made that move to the Cayman Islands, I'm still working on the transition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, in the Cayman Islands, I re- that's when I really received the messages from the universe that this is where you need to be, mm. um, in this space of helping people have better sexual mm-hmm. relationships. It's mm-hmm. a very wealthy Island where there is mm-hmm. no crime, yeah, no homelessness, yeah, no yeah, unemployment. Yeah. yeah. However, a very sexually repressed. Yeah, all the islands are. (coughs) At least for the women again, because the men, you know, at least get you know get around <laughs> oh yeah the men get around there's yeah. a lot of 14 year old girls who get pregnant by the exactly. pastor and they yeah. get on a plane to miami to take care yeah. of the pregnancy yeah. because nobody believes in abortion on the island no. of course no so no. no but i i did a lot of radio shows on the island talking about masturbation i did um i, I had a sex counseling office an office where i helped a lot of people with their sex problems mm-hmm. the i was working with the government entities we were trying to get 
um, some, well, one, we had no sexual harassment and stalking laws there, so we needed that. But we also had a lot of women who are going through abusive situations in their home, um, domestic violence, and so working with the government entities to help women achieve healthier sexual relationships or get out of unhealthy sexual relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a really rewarding time for me. I got to establish my business. It's still the same name, Dignified Health Solutions. And it was so cool, I think, to be recognized by the government entities. I was going into corporations doing lunchtime seminars because, you know, if your employees have better personal relationships at home and more fulfilling sexual relationships at home, they're going to be way more productive at work and they're going to be able to get along with their colleagues much better. So it was really validating for me being able to take it out of a personal one-on-one, let me help this person with their individual sex problem, to being able to go into the media. And I wrote a newspaper column every week. And the newspaper, at one point, like the government was trying to hire me, the newspaper's trying to hire me. I'm at the medical school. So it was very, very rewarding. Unfortunately, on a small island like that, there's not very many people to date. You know everybody. And mm-hmm. I was a single woman and I ended up, I was there for three years and my motivation to move was when I was on a date with someone who I would not be on a date with if I was not on this island. Right. It just was like a reckoning to right. me. Like, yeah. would you date this guy if yeah. you weren't on an island? Yeah. And the answer was a very, very clear no, you would mm-hmm. not. So I was like, I've got to get back to the United States because I had decided at that point the people who I wanted to date had to have similar values i needed what i would call western values like it's really not okay for you to have four other girlfriends while we're married you know right, like right, i just right, needed right. a different again that's like that in culture it's you know and especially i mean at least the caymans are better than like jamaica but the point is you know even the haitian um community here it still has a lot of those macho you know standards oh in miami we're we're a city of immigrants you know basically all over miami a lot of machismo in all the latin islands the black islands the entire caribbean the hasidic community the russians who just arrived oh yeah yes so so it took a lot of like a relearning and educating and training to do oh my gosh then i established this business i was so happy and now i'm here i was recruited by the university of here oh you came for the I was recruited by the University of Miami to develop a community-based HIV program because it is the, we have the highest rates of new HIV infections (laughs) in the nation. So I was recruited um, very quickly. I moved the minute I made, it's funny how quickly the universe works. I'm on this date. I'm like, I don't want to date guys like this. I went online. I applied for a job. I kid you not, 15 minutes later, they called me, which never happens. And, you know, in academia, they call you 15 years later. Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, I know. You're like, I have a job in another country. But yes. Yeah. But they called me 15 minutes later. I flew in. I got the job. I moved very quickly here. And um, for nine months, I refused to date anybody. And I was just trying to establish my career, reestablish it here. It's a lot to learn. And also, how am I going to, now I have to redo, I have to be a sexologist again. Right. Now I'm I'm back to academia. I'm full time right, in academia. Right, right, now right. I need to get out. I, it's enough to teach get doctors about out. sex. I yeah. got to do stuff. <laughs> right. So um, I spent nine months implementing one of my own programs on me called Date with Dignity that it's a date training program to train yourself to get what you want in your next relationship. Mm-hmm. And I put myself through the program um, as my own guinea pig. And uh, I completed the program on a Friday. The following, no, I completed the program on a Sunday. The following Friday night, I met my husband at 
happy hour at Smith and Walensky's <laughs> on the beach on a Friday happy hour. It's funny. And he encouraged me right away to submit an article to the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And I did. And it was called Bear in Brickle. We went around to all the bars in Brickle. And I asked, uh, I was with my husband, who is a lawyer. We were dating at the time. And I asked 10 people, would you ever have sex with someone without a condom? I was interested because Miami Dade has the highest rates of HIV. So every single person said no in the beginning. And then my husband, being a lawyer, said, why don't you change the question to, would you ever have sex with someone for the first time without a condom? Or could you think of a time when you would? And that adding that, that's a very lawyeristic type of term. Right. Could you think of a time? What it did was when I asked that, it made everyone think of that time when they oh, did. Yeah, if you say, have you ever had sex for without, the first time without, without a condom? condom everyone said like, no. Yes. No, well, everyone said no. I'm like, have you or I would th- you? So would you, have you ever, I th- I have to look at the book mm. actually to see what I think have you is yes. But I'm everyone said no. Would you said, is oh, no. Because no. no one wants to. So well, it would be no to or would you? Or could you think of a time when you would? A, and we added yeah. that and everyone everyone actually ended up saying yes. They they just told us the truth at that point. They had had sex without a condom. Yeah, exactly. We actually everyone had two guys had in the FBI telling me, they're like, I'd have sex with you without a condom. You're a professor yeah. at the University of Miami. You look clean. Exactly. You're That's in Brickle. You're paying $12 for a drink. That's I would have right. sex with you without a condom. That's how we judge. And then I wrote <laughs> That's that what art. It is. There you Speaking go. Speaking of like, you know, again, like economic discrimination, that's exactly what it is. It's like, oh, wait, you know, like the socioeconomic status is safe. So I'm going to have sex without a condom. Absolutely. And it's terrible. And it's like crazy. Like just because a guy has like a degree, f- you know, and some money doesn't mean that he's not infected if that's what you're looking for. But that's how people judge. And doctors know. are or the woman. riskiest ladies out there. I'm telling oh, yeah. you because oh, yeah. doctors know all the interventions that they can do to right. try to save themselves right. afterwards. Right. So they are the riskiest right. ladies. And quite um, a few doctors, you know, self-medicate with sex. I mean, they have to self-medicate with something and sex has the least side effects. You know, so if it's high high stress medical you know job that's what they do yeah go to the go to the bar i'm yeah. a doctor i got yeah. some money you buy a, you know yeah. get the stripper get whatever have a quickie relax go to sleep start over yeah absolutely and yeah. so the newspaper i started writing a column a weekly sex column called sex in south beach and a couple of years later we turned it into a book and the whole point of that was to come out to the university i'm gonna be all sexologists now. Okay. And so I did. It was like my coming out of the closet project. Okay. So I came out of the closet. I'm going to do this. I got a lot of pushback from the university. A lot. Like, is she a sex worker? We don't understand. And all kinds of craziness. Because it's a lot of sexually repressed people working there. And um, and from there, it's been so rewarding. I can tell you. I've really developed a lot personally and professionally going from giving people personal advice in hallways, in elevators, to developing programs for small right. communities. Now I run programs, large programs at the university, educating people about sex. I meet with the breast cancer support group to talk about sex after cancer. I've won almost every award in Miami from 20 under 40 to the you know, the Miami-Dade Women's Health Commission giving me woman of the year. So when you're a sexologist, those things are really important because that means that I'm making some sort of progress in normalizing sex as an important part of our health. Exactly. And so that's where we are now, or that's where I am now, is really trying 
to help doctors, patients, people, everyone know that mm-hmm. sexual satisfaction is such mm-hmm. an, a critically important part of your overall health. Mm-hmm. And you're sick when you're not, when you exactly. are, when you are sexually unfulfilled or sexually frustrated, you are sick. It's just like being too stressed out. And we see the signs every day. Right. Someone cuts you off in the highway. Someone cuts in front of you at the grocery store. I guarantee they did not. They have not had any good sex lately. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And no. The, no. No. It's like any other form source of anxiety. It makes you anxious. It raises your high your blood pressure. You know. It it like triggers your body to be unwell. And there is such easy treatment. You know, there is like talk therapy or there is medical treatment. There's actually medical interventions now hormonally also. So a lot of, you know, masturbation. Well, a lot of somatic problems, though, as well, like whatever, testosterone levels or whatever, you know, uh, ED or, you know, all kinds of other issues that men especially, but women as well have had, they can be now treated medically. Right. So right, but I think a lot have to of the expect- look for the solutions. I, I, so I, I'm not a big proponent of saying just go to the doctors because I think sex, from what I understand in my 20 years of being a professor at medical schools, is doctors didn't learn diddly about sex in medical school. No, they didn't. They didn't like. Sure. And when I was pregnant, going to my my doctors all of the time, they every single doctor I went to asked, "Can you have office hours in my office?" Because people have questions like, "Do I have to put the penis all the way in to get pregnant?" Or do I have like basic what? questions like that? Like people really want help. So many. I do an event once a month called Date Night Special, where we take five couples out to strengthen their sensual connection. Right. Yeah. I have had couples. I had a couple married for 16 years. She didn't like having anal sex, and they'd been having anal sex for 16 years, and she never told her husband. It's devastating. And it is so to have these safe spaces where you can learn ways to play with each other sexually. That's that's consensual. Sorry, but that's like rape. She doesn't know it, so she doesn't call it that. She did not know that she could have a voice. And now it, that is going to be a difficult conversation because you have to try to figure out what we've been doing for the last 16 years. Um, however, I can't even imagine. We want it, what we want to do is empower people to have these conversations exactly. in safe spaces exactly. and in fun ways. So the take, right. I try to make well, the way I talk about sex a little lighthearted because so many people get stressed out when talking mm-hmm. about sex. They get mm-hmm. anxious, they you know, mm-hmm. they they clam up, they don't they feel like they're gonna say something wrong. Mm-hmm. And the reality is we're always thinking about sex. Whether mm-hmm. or not you're having it, everyone's think they're thinking about why I'm not having sex. Mm-hmm. Why am I having sex? What mm-hmm. you know, did I like the sex last no, night? No, for well, sure. Everyone is always thinking about sex, even the people who don't want to have it, you know, who are asexual at the time or whatever, they're thinking about it. And actually that's a very good time to practice talking about it. When you're not like, you know, super horny and roaring to go, is a good time to practice talking about it. Talking you know, about it even and with thinking your friends, about it. Everywhere. Absolutely. Oh, exactly. That's, that's what I, I you know, I try to push exactly that. Um, that it's just like any other language. Pretend you have to learn French. Pretend you have to like improve your Spanish. That's all it is. You just like get the vocabulary out and you learn by practice. You know, if you have to like practice in the mirror and say, this is what I like. This is what I want to do more of that I haven't tried. Just do it. You know, memorize it and just spew it out. If, Absolutely. If that's what it takes the and first time. And even if you're nervous, authenticity is exactly. underrated to say, you know, I don't know how to say this. I'm nervous. I don't really know how to talk about it. But, uh-huh. you know, when you go down on me, I really like the 
fat part of your tongue, the flat, fatter part, mm-hmm. when you, you lick my smaller lips up and down. And then when I'm almost there, could you make your tongue hard and pointy right. and and, right. and stimulate my clitoral hood more right, right and those and, and to be able i hope i sounded nervous and anxious because that's what i was trying to do <laughs> well but you sounded very sexually literate but okay <laughs> <laughs> if she knows all those details she won't be nervous <laughs> but that was the whole reason i wrote my book sex in south beach was to help people have easy fun and inform conversations that lead to better sex each chapter is two or three pages that's it right. and the whole reason is yeah. for you guys to read it together or talk about it together and give you a little tidbit to spark a conversation because it's such a difficult thing to talk about. But it's yeah. such but an it important... But it shouldn't be. It's like such a basic, basic thing in life. It's the one thing we all share in common despite all cultural you know, differences and oppressions. Um, around the world, everyone more or less has the same amount of interest right, in sex. Absolutely. And we all procreate and have babies through it. So it's like holy and sacred and given to us by the gods. And we should honor it instead of like shame it. And we should see it from a place of light instead of a place of darkness. We should not like, you know, hide it in the proverbial closet. No, we should just celebrate it. We certainly should. And unfortunately, we live in a society where the only way we talk about sex is porn or rape. That's it. And I'm like, no, sex is like ice cream. Yeah. Lick it. It's supposed to be good. Yeah. Enjoy it. Savor it. Sex can be fun. Remember that? The fun part of sex. It's like meditative also. It's such an amazing release. Like at the end of it, you know, physically on the somatic hormonal and, you know, uh, neural level, you feel so elated. Absolutely. It cleanse. Absolutely. So, uh, and what you said, I'm I'm also, you know, I just want to touch on it. Um, about rape, that yes, you know, with advent of the Me Too movement, there has been so much progress, and I, you know, it has been life consciousness changing for so many women, but one of the, you know, of the side effects is that there is much more emphasis on rape, on what shouldn't be done, on what's invasive, than what's positive, you know, what can be done, what will be done, what should be done, all of the stuff that should come out. So I think that it's incumbent upon us women, because now we have the power of consent, we're the ones who should instigate sex, we're the ones who get to propose sex, we're the ones who get to have the conversation and say, this is what we like, because we have permission to, we have nothing to fear. I would, if I were a man, I would not even think about having sex with a woman unless she told me I <laughs> right. want to have sex with you. Right. And I know, I think right? That is the upside. I know, right? That is the beauty of the Me Too I movement. Know. It is going to, what I hope, for society to go to a place where women have to say, I want to have sex with you. Exactly. I choose to have sex with Hallelujah. you. Hallelujah. And if you're a man, you're a fool. If you have sex with a woman and she has not said that. And I mean, my, remember, I'm married to a lawyer. <laughs> I personally, I would probably have a little <laughs> consent form on my on my iPhone, <laughs> and I'm like, let's sign this, okay? Just so nothing else comes back, yeah. because you know people sometimes regret their decisions, and that's the other part with the Me Too movement. You know, there's it's been very confusing to some people who regret their decisions and want to be part of the Me Too movement versus women who really have been violated and are now standing up saying that is not okay. Well, I think that the Me Too movement has reinformed people, you know, women especially, about what their boundaries are and what 
consent includes, you know, because so many, for so many, it was a gray area, and so many women post, post, you know, sex lib felt that they should just say yes. They didn't know how to say no. They didn't like, like your, you know, you the woman you brought up with the anal sex, anal right. rape. Uh, you know, well, he's my husband. That's what he likes. So I have to go along with it. You know, there is a huge, you know, a huge history, many, many generations of women who felt they just had to go along. So, you know, the Me Too movement is, you know, kind of re redrawing those definitions for women. So women who, you know, within like recent memory gave into pr extreme pressure without wanting to, but also without saying no outright, you know, are, are, are suffering. Absolutely. They, and they I realize now what they've only felt before. You know, it was a violation. It was an assault. It was rape. And, like, I didn't even know it for sure to speak up. Oh, I think, I mean, you and me can probably think of so, I can think of my first faculty meeting. I'm 20-something years old. The chair of the department at a faculty meeting said, Sanjaya, you look good enough to eat. I didn't, I didn't say anything. Oh, no, you laughed. I didn't know. Well, yeah. I was also the youngest person in the room. Yeah. There were 10 other adults there. Yeah. Nobody said anything. So you're like, I mean, I wish someone would say that to me today. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It'd me be too. a different story. Oh, but me the too. Me Too movement has been wonderfully empowering, yeah. especially yeah. for young women who won't have to put up with like, I have like 20 yeah. or 15 yeah. years, like, how am I supposed to respond to that? Exactly. Um, yeah, I me too. You know, very much, especially if you work in this field and you speak about sex. I also, I, I, as I mentioned, had a sex column in New York for mm -hmm. you know, almost 10 years. So just writing about sex in, in a way, you know, pigeonholes you as if just because you talk about it, it means that you will also do it indiscriminately, right? right? Um, and sometimes if it was from an, a stranger, it was easy to just shut the door and speak truth. But if it was from someone I knew well or I worked well in a place of, you know, a work environment where I didn't want to create conflict and bring, you know, attention to myself as like not a team player, I would honestly giggle. And now I cringe because, you know, I'm such a feminist. I, you right. know, I worked my whole life to not, you know, do like the cliche feminine response. And I would go like, <laughs> exactly. Oh God! But we didn't have anyone to tell us. <laughs> no, no one said nervousness. But it and then you translates right. Which so I'm very proud of the young women who have started the Me Too movement. I feel really excited about the new generation of women. Yeah, me and the too. one thing I do hope that they do do though, I think we do need to engage. I've talked with some men about this. We do need to engage more men in the Me Too movement. And that has been one of our lapses, I think, as women. I know, I guess, Ben Affleck touched a woman's breast inappropriately maybe 10 years ago or something. <laughs> he did? But I he don't remember. I, don't, but he, I know in the beginning of the Me Too movement, he came mm. out as a supporter. Mm. And then it was found that he had touched a woman mm. 10 years prior. I think we have to have some room in the Me Too movement to say for Ben Affleck to be able to say, I'm sorry, I actually know better now. I right. didn't know That's all then. I have to say is I'm sorry. I'm sorry, and I didn't know better then, but I am b learning a lot now, and I do support mm -hmm. your movement, and mm -hmm. I want to help. So I think we have to give a place of recourse. We have to allow men who have made mistakes in the past and who are sincerely trying to do better now, I think the Me Too movement could really benefit from their support because we're not going to change ev the world but we do in order for us to change the way the world treats women men have to be involved in that we can only yeah i mean women aren't going to change the way that w w women alone cannot change the way men 
perceive us overall. Right. Men have to be involved right. in but that. But, you know, my take on it is that this is good for the men. It's unfortunate that they feel put on the spot, you know, and threatened. I think it's liberating for men. You know, it takes a lot of the burden of the responsibility off of their shoulders. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, to speak to speak for, for the other side, I can't imagine having to just, like, do everything every single time, you know, be expected to know how to get everything done, be always ready, be always hard, you know, pay every bill, all of it, you know, for like the equal pleasure that both, you know, both should be having, should be having. Right. So I think like taking the responsibility off of them is going to be amazing if they kind of like, you know, rethink it and open up to it and not, you know, it's not like a, a definition of masculinity that you always have to be lead the way and be in charge. You know, it's like enjoy the ride. You know, Absolutely. let her do things to you as well. Ask, ask for her to give you what you're giving her. You know, speak up for yourself from the receiving end. You know, from like a passive place also of like receiving pleasure and not just you know performance. So I think you know if we liberate men from that role. We also feminize them enough to allow them the other side of pleasure, you know, like wearing pretty things, making themselves the object of desire maybe as well, right? And definitely free them from like the provider sex, you know, where like from the first minute until the end of the affair, relationship, quickie, whatever it is, you have your hand in your pocket, which I find unattractive, you know, as, as if, again, from a feminist point of view, it's like, what's he paying for? Why is he paying? Like, you know, it makes me uncomfortable because I, f- I don't want to bring it to a transactional. It's not a trade. Yeah, it's, it's not, not a sex not should not be something. transactional. Yeah. So I think that there is a lot of room for like happiness and joy and liberation for men too if they don't, you know, if we phrase it, uh, you know, acceptingly rather than I've alienatingly. Right? Absolutely. And I think, I mean, it it would be so sexy for me to hear a man say, you know, I don't have sex with a woman unless she tells me she wants to have sex with me. I know. Imagine being on a date with a guy. Like, and he's like, I'm going to need to hear you say it. I I'm going to need to hear, hear you say, I, I want to have sex with you. Because, I know. You know, and I think that's, you know, when we're looking for for change. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I also think it's a very good <laughs> self-protector for men to right. make sure I think that. That's, that would be beautiful, you know, and then. Having a man say, oh, you know, I, I, you know, can I, whatever, would you, uh, you know, fist me or would you play with my balls or would you, you know, things that Absolutely. give the woman temporarily the upper hand, the power. So it, there is an, a true exchange, right. you know, instead right. of like she's at the bottom, maybe like she sits on top of him. <laughs> right. And that's the end of that. But he's always working it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, we if we want better sex, we have to take charge i say we are the owners of our orgasms right i teach a lot of classes where the men come in and they want to give this woman an orgasm and she's completely stressed out because he's trying so hard to give her an orgasm which 
of course, makes sure that she's never going to have one because she knows he's trying. Right. And he's like, an hour has gone by and you still haven't come. <laughs> oh, my God. He's so she's got there. more stress. She's got all this stress going on. Oh. And so I think it's really important um, for women to take responsibility. We right. are the owners of our own orgasms. Yes, I, we are. I speak to so many women and they don't even know what they like in bed. They don't know what makes them come. That's and okay. That's I, you got to find out. Right. You have to pr- practice. Yeah. You have yeah. to find out. We're you all different. To, right. Right. And he's only going to do what his last girlfriend liked. Exactly. That's all he knows. That's it. That's he doesn't all know he knows. Him. He knows to repeat that. Exactly. That's right. very important. Yeah. And we all have totally different sexual... Uh, Everyone's different. Oh, Every yeah. It's just like we all like different foods. Yeah, yeah. Or like, uh, you know, the, I, 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 I compare it to our fingerprints. You know, that's how different each one of us is sexually. You know, so just saying, okay, I can teach you what the clitoris does. You know, that's a generalization. But you yourself, as you said, you have to take charge of your physical pleasure because it's your life. Absolutely. Yes? Right. And who wants to fake it? <laughs> oh my god right. no no more faking please yeah, who if wants we, to fake if it? we if we have achieved one thing <laughs> after like three waves of feminism and you know trying and talking and writing and publishing it's just don't fake it I don't know. fake it yeah we ladies hope, hopefully the me too <laughs> movement will stop that yeah <laughs> yeah so um uh well we have a few minutes let's see if we have something that you want to bring up that we haven't covered we're good um, I think we're all good. Is there any questions? I mean, I think one of the most important things that people can do, like you said, is right. know what turns them on sexually. And if you get mm-hmm. my book, Sex and South Beach, it'll make mm-hmm. it'll do exactly what Eve mm-hmm. says you should do, which is mm-hmm. think about what you right. want, talk about what you want. Yeah. It's especially good for single people when they're in between relationships exactly. to think about what they want so that when you are with your next partner, you're prepared. You've practiced in the mirror. Exactly. You've said yeah. some things. And um, it's important to know that honesty, I think, is really, really respected in every single sexual exchange. Exactly. So if you say, I, I want to have sex with you, I hope it's going to be great tonight, mm-hmm. but I'm going to let you know there is no possibility for a relationship. We might mm-hmm. have sex like a few more times. Every time mm-hmm. I come to town, I can mm-hmm. call you and we can have sex, but mm-hmm. I'm a bad seed. I, I, <laughs> I love that song. Bad at love. Woo-hoo. I'm bad at love. I don't do relationships. Right. Or, because some people really don't do relationships, so they should stop faking out their partners. <laughs> so I also think honesty, you don't want to walk in on your partner. The reason why we want to talk about sex and make it easy for your partners to talk yeah. to you about sex yeah. is because before anyone else knows what's on your partner's mind, what they're thinking about sexually, don't you want to be the first one to know? Right. You don't have to say and yes. And if you speak up honestly and you admit everything they will feel much more comfortable telling you everything because they won't feel that you will reject them or turn around and leave you know this is the main reason people lie they think that they will be you know seen as like bad or evil they will be dropped they will be left and they're afraid of their known so they start falling into a pattern of like lies so speaking your truth as at least your truth as it has been until this moment because our truth changes and evolves you know and as, as, and also uh, another important aspect inside the sexual truth is the monogamous truth you know do you like monogamy do you like polyamory do you, you absolutely uh, do you want to be open to uh, you know more affairs m- s- sex with other people for the time being 
for as long as you agree without talking about it, with talking about it, together with a partner, apart. I mean, there's like numerous combinations and actually bringing that out in the open early on and respecting the truth. Absolutely. Instead of like wanting to change what the person tells you. And also realizing that our sexual desires evolve. Yeah. And my saying, I say it every day to myself and everyone who I meet, (laughs) nobody loves you like you do. So you have to love yourself enough you to advocate for your own sexual pleasure. Exactly. It's just like when you go into your boss and you have to ask for a raise. You get a little nervous. You don't quite know how you're going to do it. But what right. are you going to do? Stick around being underpaid? No. no you got to go get that go. raise. Yeah. The same with sex. Nobody loves you like you do. Nobody's going to take care of your sexual satisfaction except mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And the more that you love yourself the more you will feel empowered to be able to communicate sex- to your sexual partners advocating right. for your own behalf, the more you realize, I do have to explore and figure out what turns me on. Yeah. And so yeah. that little saying says right. so much. And, you know, those are the worst partners in relationships when people don't love themselves. Right. Those are the neediest oh people. Oh, my God, they yes. They can't communicate. They just need, 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 right. need. Yeah. And when people love themselves... They're so sexy, yeah. they're so attractive, and they're able to set yeah. standards that really yeah. align with their yeah. values. And right. I think sexually, and women, we are we get into so many situations right. where we're like, I'll go with his we values, are, yeah. not mine. We're the whatever. caretakers, you know, and we feed the ego of the other. Yeah. And when we say love yourself, we don't mean from a narcissistic, we mean from an authentic place, you know. Get to know yourself and love and appreciate w- yourself the way you are, but not like all ego because no. then, you know, that's what happens with so many of the, of the needy people who don't love themselves, but they have the whole NPD thing. They right. don't know how to love themselves, but they want to suck the love out of everybody they meet and then discard them. And, you know, uh, th- that's uh, another right. episode. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other. But loving yourself, like I know, I know my, I know my weaknesses and exactly. I have to accept them. Exactly. You know, a lot of people, you say you talk too much. And at one point, I think I was in my 20s, I was like, I'm just going to have to accept this. Yeah. Because when I have something to say, I'm just going to open my mouth. I can't stop it. Yeah. That's <laughs> and I spent some time, stop try, you know, in your early 20s, you're trying to figure out who you are. Maybe I shouldn't talk. Maybe I, You know, so when I say love yourself, it's like really knowing who you are, mm-hmm. knowing what your values are. And if mm-hmm. anyone's looking for a relationship, they have to know why I said what your three must-haves are and your three deal breakers. Yeah, exactly. Three mu- and not yeah. 12 must-haves and 12. Yeah. Yeah. deal breakers yeah. Yeah. You know, but three yeah that's beautiful that's good advice yeah I call it like your soft and your hard <laughs> your soft limit and your hard limit you know the deal breakers are the hard right. limits yes. things you are not gonna change on because right. whatever Right. You have like childhood trauma, you have issues. You don't want to have sex with thing. dogs, whatever. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, know? you love your dog. Yes, because you're an animal <laughs> rights advocate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, today I was, you know, I was, I was getting out of the house, go to an errand, and I, I think pops up on YouTube, and it's this girl, and her dog is humping her <laughs> foot, which my dog, by the way, does endlessly. And my previous, every dog I've had, you know, will have my dog. But her dog... Like went on and he came. Oh my and god! Then and she let him off the food. No, and then god. it's on my YouTube. And I haven't even had breakfast. We need I to call Peter. We need to call Peter. <laughs> like, that is animal abuse. Eek! No, no, no! Why? I'm in the car. <laughs> yes, that is disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 
But so see, now that girl, I know my limits. Now, if you're dating that girl, no limits. Wouldn't you want to see that video before you get before you get serious oh with that girl? God. You need to yes. see that video first. Especially when see. I, yeah, when I pick up her dog, I want to run away with right, him. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> get the dog out of that place. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So your hard limits. Yeah. <laughs> Like uh, no other species. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no other species. <laughs> it's an example. Right. <laughs> and then your must-haves. What must and you your, have? And your must-haves, yeah. You know, and those are harder to think about than your deal breakers. Yeah. People are like, what must I have? Yeah. And we think, ooh, someone who's open to communication. Exactly. We think truth and honesty. Right. I mean, that's right. got to be one. Right. You think right? about but it's worth naming. And when you're naming. dating someone... I tell my husband all the time, you know, my must-haves and deal-breakers are very different now than they were 11 years ago when oh, I met definitely, him. Oh, definitely, yeah. And so I, sometimes I say, okay, we're not going to get divorced. Let's pretend like I, I do this to my poor husband all the time. <laughs> He's also let's, your best client. <laughs> yes. I'm like, let's, let's just, you can date me. You can see if I want to be with you. So I actually try to start our relationship over. Mm. <laughs> like, okay, let's just start from the beginning. Like, we just met. And we, we pretend like we met at the bar. And I tell I tell him about my husband. I've got this husband at home. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but we try to start over. These are my new must-haves and deal breakers. And it gives me an opportunity to say, you know, now I need good credit. You know, maybe that wasn't important when I was a kid. But now I don't want to get into a long-term relationship because that's going to mess up my sex life. If I'm worried about whether or not, you know, you're going to, the IRS is coming for you. And I say right, that exactly. now because we're yeah, much yeah, older. Yeah. We're, yeah, most people, exactly. you know, w well, I'm much older than I was yeah, <laughs> yeah, when I was, yeah, yeah, I never yeah. thought about credit when I was no, a kid of course or not. someone needs good credit. Oh my God, yes. But now, oh my gosh, that's number one reason for divorce are financial problems. Yeah. You know, so you, well, especially when you have children, because then it's not you, it's also your child you're thinking of and the whole future of the child. Right. Yeah. yeah. When you're this financial future. Exactly. So, yeah. so these types of things, so your must haves and your deal breakers do change over time. Mm -hmm. And I have, I know a couple, they've been married for 13 years they did not start off as swingers, but they're swingers now. Yeah, I know many couples and like that. And they're yeah, mutual decisions. Mutual decision, and, and they, it saved the marriage. And it, and it just, remembering that our sexual desires do evolve. Yeah, completely. Yeah. And you become much more at ease with things that, or, you know, to begin with would have been unthinkable. Because, of course, when you're first in love, the idea of, like, your guy with someone else is, like, hell. But 10 years into it, if that means you're also getting to have someone else and you still don't lose the marriage, it becomes, you know, a totally different uh, suggestion. It's a, Absolutely. Yeah. I just yeah. got back from Curacao, which happens to have the largest brothel in the Caribbean, wow. partially run by the government. Wow. It was established by the government and priests. Wow. But um, the interesting thing about it was at the resort where we were staying, I by the end of the week, I was pretty confident that a lot of those women go there with their husbands so that their husband can go to the brothel. Wow. So I was like, I don't think that couple's had sex for a very long time, but she's okay with him going Right, because it the keeps them happy and it keeps the marriage and whatever. It's, they know what yeah, their vacation secures hour about. Yeah. You a know? lot of people go to uh, you know resorts like that, especially for swapping, because they don't want to do it where they live. They don't want right. to do it where they might like run into someone who knows someone, etc. Right. So they'll do it only on their trips, and they get it out of their systems, and then they come back home, and it's you know life as usual, and that's totally legit. You know, right. there are all kinds of iterations if uh, you look for it. If you know your current needs, you know, and you speak them up, yeah. But I definitely think that one of the first must-haves has to be honesty, you know, that speak the truth, stay honest, 
you know, I think that that's like a place to begin with, and then you can come up with <laughs> with right. the rest. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. They're yeah. unique to everyone, whatever yeah. you're looking for. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you for ha- for coming. I mean, this was just a uh, you know. Thank it you went so much for it inviting went by, me. Yeah, it went by so beautifully and fast. So we have to do it again. We can do it again. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Two ladies who live in South Beach <laughs> who focus on sex. Who talk about sex, sex all the all time. time. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yes. The world's so, been looking for us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again, Dr. Sunjaya so Kenya. Please uh, look her up and uh, you can find her contact on my Instagram, YouTube, etc. And thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you for trusting me as your sex whisperer here on Jolt Radio. And until next Friday, speak sex. Space saving, mending, design.